Following the debate about Confederate statues and monuments in the US during August 2017, the radical Catholic priest Father Bob McGuire tweeted, Could we not have virtual statues, which the algorithm could change as directed by public opinion? I like this tweet a lot. Father Bob makes an incisive observation about the logic and politics of augmented reality, at least as it's imagined by the major media platforms. Platforms like Facebook and Google are investing in virtual, augmented and mixed reality technologies, and as with most of their engineering projects, encoded into these technologies is a disruptive vision for public life. Father Bob cheekily skewers this Silicon Valley logic in a bunch of ways. He's aping the Silicon Valley liberal individualist solution to everything. Forget the difficult debate about history and identity that surrounds these monuments. Just measure public opinion and produce a representation of reality that matches that opinion. Forget about being caught in history. Just have a culture that continuously and automatically remodels itself on whatever the current tastes and preferences of the crowd are. There's another way to read Father Bob's quip too. I think that in the vision of augmented reality being imagined by Google and Facebook, the ideal scenario would be that we all individually wear our augmented reality lenses and see the reality that we want to see. As long as we all have our Facebook goggles or Google lenses in, when we go into the park and look at a big statue, we'll see our own personal hero. White nationalists will see Robert E. Lee. Progressives will look up at the same spot and see someone else. Oprah, Obama... Martin Luther King, Tina Fey eating cake. The point is this. Augmented reality, as envisioned by Facebook and Google, is the engineering effort to take the forms of algorithmic culture currently confined to the feeds of our smartphones and transpose them into the real world. If, at the moment when we scroll Facebook, we see the news that matches our political viewpoints... If we're alt-right, we're immersed in fake news, conspiracies about violent leftists. If we're progressives, we're immersed in outrage about Nazis and the KKK. Augmented reality would weave those simulations into the real world. So our public space begins to reflect back to us our political identities. Is that what we want? Here we encounter a dilemma. On the one hand, if we all saw the statue we wanted to see, would that mean everyone would be happy? Or would it simply mask the real divisions which the debate over the monuments stands in for? Or does the presence or absence of statues and monuments we disagree with in public space function as an important and constitutive aspect of public life? That is, that a foundational characteristic of public life is to encounter and contend with ideas and people we disagree with that are other or alien to us. This is my provocation, then. We need to see the present effort to engineer virtual, augmented and mixed reality by Facebook, Google and Snapchat as an extension of the simulation-based, predictive and algorithmic culture they've been constructing over the past decade. We can roughly sketch the history of virtual reality in three periods. From the 1960s to the 1980s, the US military invested in the development of virtual environments and simulators that could train pilots. From the 1980s through to the mid-1990s, dreams of virtual reality moved beyond the military. Silicon Valley tech-utopian developers, countercultural activists and artists began to imagine virtual realities unhooked from the impediments of the material world and its flesh and steel. 
From the mid-90s, virtual reality technologists and the dreams about them went into a kind of hibernation. This hibernation came about because the dreams of a utopian and independent virtual world or cyberspace couldn't be technically or politically realised. In a technical sense, low-res displays, latency, motion sickness, large and heavy hardware, lack of wireless connections, no mobile internet, and a lack of interplay with social life and urban space all stalled virtual reality startups and their technologies. Then, over the past five years, firms like Oculus Rift and Magic Leap, acquired by Facebook and Google respectively, have been ushering in a new era of virtual or augmented reality hype. In the present moment, there are three kinds of projects, virtual reality, augmented reality and mixed reality. Virtual reality is characterised by opaque goggles. Once you are wearing them, you're in an immersive virtual world. Think here of virtual reality gaming. Augmented and mixed reality are characterised by translucent screens or glasses. As you wear them, digital simulations are overlaid with your vision of the world. Augmented reality is most evident in our everyday use of Snapchat lenses or filters. Via the screen, we see our face overlaid with digital simulations, whiskers, a tiara, a rainbow tongue. Mixed reality is the prototyped ambition of Google's Magic Leap. The limitation of augmented reality is that digital simulations are simply laid over our vision of the real world. The simulations cannot be made to appear like they are interacting with the world. Magic Leap are working toward building a mixed reality technology where simulations will appear to be able to interact with the world. For example, you'll hold out your hand and a simulation of an elephant will walk around your palm. It will appear to know where your hand begins and ends. The comparison between Magic Leap and Snapchat is a useful one. Magic Leap promote a vision of mixed reality that seems to be just out of reach. Incredible, but in the future. Snapchat, while not as technologically sophisticated, is perhaps more culturally significant. With Snapchat, augmented reality is becoming a part of everyday communication rituals, and Snapchat are figuring out how to monetize augmented reality by selling it to brands. The major investments by Facebook, Google and Snapchat in these technologies indicate to us how serious they are in transforming their core platform architecture, pushing it beyond the smartphone and its flows of images on an opaque screen. Media platforms like Google and Facebook must be understood as multi-dimensional engineering projects. Facebook's Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg explained at Recode in 2016 that while the current business plan focused on monetization and optimization of the existing platform, their 10-year strategic plan focused on core technology investments that would transform the platform architecture. The developments keep on coming. In August 2017, Facebook lodged a patent in the US for augmented reality glasses that could be used in a virtual reality, augmented reality or mixed reality system. Via translucent glasses or lenses, we can begin to see how Facebook could be transitioned to an augmented reality platform. Here's the critical point. These media platforms and their partnering brands are not investing in the creation of more sophisticated mechanisms of symbolic persuasion. They are investing in the design of devices and infrastructure that can track and respond to users and their bodies in expanding logistical and sensory registers. 
As Patricia Clark puts it, the function of media as a socialising ideological mechanism has become secondary to its continuous modulation, variation and intensification of affective response in real time. Virtual reality projects are one instance of this, the effort to create a form of media that works not by creating symbols, but by engineering experience. These companies are attempting to, as Jeremy Packer puts it, code the human into their apparatus. Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Sony and Samsung all have major investments in artificial reality technologies. Facebook has 400 AR engineers. Silicon Valley has about 230 hardware and software engineering companies working on virtual or mixed reality. Mark Zuckerberg echoes Silicon Valley consensus when he says, it is pretty clear that soon we will have glasses or contact lenses that augment our view of reality. Media platforms will augment human vision with digital simulations. Imagine looking at a room full of people and seeing their names above their heads or a reading of their mood or level of interest in what you are saying. If you're in class, your lecturer or tutor might be able to see the grade of your latest assessment floating above your head or some kind of colour coding that indicates your level of engagement in the course based on your attendance at class, loggings to the learning platform and grades. All of these kinds of data are available. Your university knows your attendance, grades and engagement with its software. Google and Facebook can recognise your face. Augmented reality heralds a shift from media that engineer flows of information to media that engineer our really lived experiences. The value of mixed or virtual reality firms like Oculus Rift and Magic Leap is attributable in part to their claimed capacity to hack or simulate the human visual cortex directly. The vomit problem or motion sickness caused by virtual reality devices can be thought of here as a container term for a number of points of friction between the living body and media devices. The latency of the image on the screen inches from your eyes causes a conflict between your visual and vestibular system, and you vomit. This problem has also been called simulator sickness, a term that had a particular currency in the 1980s and 1990s with military training simulators. Military researchers found that motion sickness from VR subsides in experienced users, an indication of the capacity of the living body to learn, to hack around the visual vestibular conflict, to accommodate itself in neurological ways to the media device that it is entangled with. The VR hype industry is characterised by plenty of claims to hack the body, or if not hacking, then working around, reorienting, calibrating or tricking it. Kevin Kelly explains that artificial reality hacks the human brain to create a chain of persuasion. This term, chain of persuasion, strikes me as an augmented kind of ideological control not persuading the subject via a symbolic account of reality that they interpret, but engineering an experience where the body feels present in a particular reality as a precursor to finding representations persuasive. Augmented reality's account is persuasive not because the human subject makes sense of it, but because it affects the body's biological system and the subject's cultural repertoire in a way that feels real. Magic Leap's founder, Ronnie Abovitz, puts it this way, Virtual reality is the most advanced technology in the world where humans are still an integral part of the hardware. To function properly, 
VR and MR must use biological circuits as well as silicon chips. The sense of presence you feel in these headsets is created not by the screen, but by your neurology. Artificial reality is a symbiont technology, part machine, part flesh. The political economy of these media engineering projects is something like this. Where the profits of broadcast media, their fabled rivers of gold, are invested in quality content, the profits of media platforms like Google and Facebook are invested in engineering projects. We might ask then, how would the experience and presence of mixed reality be monetized? Google dramatized some of these applications when they were experimenting with glass. As we look down a city street, icons will appear above buildings. The media platform predicts we might be attracted to because they sell our favorite beer or coffee, have good reviews, have a product it knows we're looking for, or that our friend is in there. Or, perhaps stranger, a platform like Tinder, knowing our preferences for particular kinds of bodies, might be able to sort and rank clubs in a nightlife precinct relative to our cultural tastes and sexual desires. You walk down a street with an AR device on, it could register affective and physiological responses to people who work by you. It could scan those people, their bodies, faces, clothes, and associate them with a register of cultural and consumer tastes, and then use that to incrementally direct your paths through a city, a media platform, or a market. At the point where being a user of a media platform begins to involve a latent participation in the feedback loops of engineering experience, and where the body is an integral part of the hardware, does the productive activity become something more than just the work of watching content or being watched by the platform? The critique of the political economy of social media has focused mostly on the capacity of platforms to conduct surveillance and target advertisements. But, as Jeremy Packer puts it, Advertisers and platforms are moving into an era where they can experiment with reality. Engineer systems that configure cultural life by collecting, storing and processing data, rather than with specific pre-planned ideological narratives. For all the work audiences did watching television in the 20th century, that work didn't change the medium or infrastructure of television all that much. But I think we're moving into an era where the human user is an active contributor to the engineering of media infrastructure itself. Users are an integral part of the effort to train algorithms to make finely grained predictions about cultural archives and practices. And as the smartphone gives way to mixed reality, the productive labour of the user will take on new dimensions. The work of tuning the interface between the body and the lens, the combined neurological and cultural activity of adjusting how we experience reality from a clear distinction between reality and digital image to the feeling and practices of being immersed in a mixed simulation. The vomit problem, then, is a useful way of thinking about not just the work of engineers, but also of users who harmonise their lives and bodies with the calculative power of media. The engineer works to solve the vomit problem via the ongoing strategic design of software and hardware. The user works to solve the vomit problem, too, adapting their bodily physiology, appearance and performances as they move about the world, and providing embodied feedback via their physiological and affective responses. Here, the ordinary media user takes up the productive work of rolling media infrastructure into the material world, onto the living body, and through lived experience. Thank you.